I have never told anyone this much detail about Bolton e-bikes and my story and how it got started. So you guys are in for a real treat for episode number one. Do you dream of riding an electric bike and the freedom that it could bring you? Or are you already living that dream and riding an electric bike now? If you answered yes to either of those questions, then you are in the right place. I'm Kyle Chittock, your host, and I once lost a spelling bee to the word zucchini. Welcome to the Bolton E-Bikes Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I've got a really interesting story. So if you've got your phone out, just go ahead and put that in your pocket. You're not going to need that for a little bit because I'm going to tell you about the origin story, how Bolton E-Bikes started. And the reason I want to tell you this is so you know who I am and you know who you're listening to. Because honestly, why should you listen to anything I have to say about electric bikes if you don't know my history and my background? Let's kind of jump into that. And I just want this to be a kind of an open conversation with you about how this all started. Now, Bolton is not my last name. So that's a question I get quite a bit. Are you Mr. Bolton? And Kind of the the general answer is, well, well, yes, but that's not actually my last name. People wonder, well, why did you name her that? And, you know, why would you name a company after a name that's not yours? But I have a good reason for that, and I'll tell you about that in a bit. And basically, we kind of have to jump back a ways to see how all of this came to be. Let's backtrack years, many years. When I was a kid, I was really into airplanes. And I know this doesn't have anything to do with e-bikes yet, but trust me, it will. But that was like my thing from as long as I can remember. And my mom says that she made the mistake of taking me to an air show when I was three years old. And that was it from that point on. Growing up, I thought for sure that I was going to be a pilot. I was going to be in the Air Force. I was going to be Maverick, I was going to be Top Gun. Let's face it, isn't everybody at that age? (laughs) But clearly, that's not exactly the path that I took. That's not exactly what happened. And there's quite a few things that led up to that. Now, like most kids, as I grew up, at some point, I learned to ride a bike. And, you know, you get the excitement of of getting on two wheels, getting those training wheels off. I'll be 100% honest. I probably have to ask uh, some of my older siblings and see if they remember I don't remember who, if anyone, really taught me how to ride a bicycle. I do have this memory of the house that I grew up in, and we moved out of that house when I was about five, so I had to be less than five. I remember taking this little red bike and kind of pushing it up the driveway and then coasting down and kind of using that to learn how to get my balance. And I don't remember if anyone else was there but I remember the bicycle and I remember it was red. (laughs) So that's kind of my first memory of being on a bicycle. And as the years went by, I kept riding bikes. Probably one of my big purchases I made as a child was another red electric bike. I remember it was a Trek 800. And wow, was that thing out of date compared to what we have now. I remember it had a grip shifter on it. I think it might have been 21 speeds at the time. Uh, You know, it had the water bottle holder on it. It was a real mountain bike. 
And it was long enough ago that it was 26-inch wheels and standard mountain bike tires, but it didn't have a suspension fork that wasn't really a thing yet. So that kind of gives you an idea of the era. It was before disc brakes and all of that fun stuff. But I rode that bike quite a bit. I remember riding it up and down the road by my house. I remember as a kid we had a corn maze. And that was a lot of work, but also a lot of fun. And I remember on the the days off or after hours, if I needed to get around, I would ride my bike through the corn maze. (laughs) So I remember doing that. A lot of fond memories on a bicycle, just being a kid, having the freedom of getting out and about and doing things. And I think most of you listening probably have memories like this too. You can probably think of a time when you were younger that you were just out on your bike, just being you, just being free, free to explore. And I think that's something that's missed a lot today. And I hope more people can experience it. And I don't want to get too mushy on you or anything, but these are true stories. These are real things that happened in my life. I also like to play a lot with Legos when I was a kid. I played with Legos probably a little bit too much. There was the Lego Technics, which where you, you could kind of build things that could move and, and do things, and I got really into those. So I really just loved building things. I loved model airplanes. I built model airplanes. I flew model airplanes. And the bike riding was always just something I did for fun. It wasn't a career path. Professional cycling or anything like that wasn't ever a huge thought on my mind at least at that point in time. Now, as I got a little bit older, I went through school and high school and all that fun stuff. And I'll be honest, I wasn't a big fan of of school. I did well in it. I did get good grades, but it was just not a place that I wanted to be. I just wanted to move on with my life and do something better, if that made sense. I was just very bored. So a blessing of that to me was that I went to high school for one year. And then the year after that, I was able to transition to an independent study program. So I went to work. I basically got my schoolwork every week for an hour or so. I'd get my assignments, take my tests, and then I could go home and do my schoolwork or actually go work a real job. So I started working basically as as soon as I could uh, and working as many hours as I was legally allowed to at the time. Now, the teacher that I had was somebody that I knew from church. So just kind of a coincidence that she turned out to be that teacher I'd get my assignments from once a week. And one of the requirements, of course, when you're in high school is physical education. And when you're doing an independent study, it's not like you have a basketball team or this or anything. And I did all those things when I was growing up before then. I played most of the sports little bit of baseball when I was younger, played some soccer, played a lot of basketball many years, and track and field, high jumping, long jumping, shot put, you name it, I did a little bit of all of it. Now, when it came to high school and I needed to do some physical education, we kind of had this odd thing where it's like, oh, what are you going to do? And because of the flexibility of that program, my teacher, her husband, his name is Cliff, and I probably put more miles on bikes with him than I did ever before. He was a professional cyclist, and his son owned a bike shop, and basically my PE class was to go on bike rides with Cliff. 
that was probably the most fun PE class you could ever have, where you just get on a bike, and it was a road bike or a mountain bike. I did both, and we would just go for a ride. And he lived relatively close to where I was, so we could meet up somewhere in between or at my house or whatever made sense, and we could go put on 20 miles or 30 miles or 40 miles or 50 or 60, and and sometimes we would go to a location to go for a ride. All of this is happening, by the way, in, in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains in Grass Valley. So to give you an idea of the terrain, it is not flat here. Kind of our warm-up for some of those rides was to ride up Highway 20 from the Penn Valley area to Grass Valley. So we kind of have like a five, six-mile uphill as our warm-up to get going. And it was just a lot of fun. We'd do rides from Truckee to Lake Tahoe and back and just all over the place. There's the Buttes, which is the smallest mountain range, I think, in the world. Don't quote me on that. You might have to look that up. Uh, But there's a nice 40-mile ride around that. So lots and lots of cycling as a teenager. And that just kind of became a part of me. And there was a mountain biking team in high school. So I got to ride uh, with that team for a while, too. I kind of just got a love for all forms of cycling. So I'd done tandem rides, road bike rides, mountain bike rides. You get the idea, kind of the picture, just a little bit of everything. Now, as I got a little bit older, I am definitely a religious person. I went on a mission for my church for two years, and probably the one of the most awesome parts about that is that it was a kind of a half-and-half biking-slash-vehicle mission. So that means to get around, sometimes we didn't have a car, and we would use our bicycles to get anywhere we needed to go. I shipped my mountain bike that I rode on that mountain biking team in high school and went on all those rides with Cliff. I actually shipped that from California to Florida. I rode it hard for two more years. And then at the end of that two years in Florida, I shipped that bike back to California, continued riding on it for many more years, and didn't really have any thoughts on anything bicycle industry related. It was just a fun hobby that I did, along with a bunch of other hobbies and things that I enjoy that maybe we'll get into later at some other point. Now, this is where things got a little bit interesting because it wasn't long after that that I built my first electric bike. So I was in my early 20s. I just recently got married and I was going through college through a program called Mechatronics. Now, if you haven't heard of that, that's totally okay. Most people haven't. So Mechatronics is a combination of electrical engineering, computer sciences, and mechanical engineering. So if you can think of anything that has electronics and moves, basically, if you have a mechatronics degree, then it could cover that. So anything from elevators to industrial sliding doors to robotics, electric bikes, (laughs) any of those things are covered in the scope of mechatronics. So that was really fascinating. I think that kind of goes back to my days of playing with Legos when I was a kid and building things. I always wanted to build robots or do things like that. Now you're probably wondering, well, what happened to the airplanes? What happened to the pilot career? And I asked someone about going into the Air Force, and I mentioned, hey, basically what's required, what's kind of the the recruitment process, how do you you sign up? Oh, by the way, I have 
celiac disease, which means I can't eat gluten. Now, that's something that's very common today, or at least is better known. But when I was a kid, as a teenager, hardly anybody knew what that was. And they were like, what do you eat? How do you survive? <laughs> and, that's, and thankfully, it's so much better now than it was 15, 20 years ago. Uh, it really is. I can go to a normal grocery store and just buy food. And that was very difficult at that point in time. And I had a lot of health challenges because of that. So those definitely some things to overcome there. But to kind of shorten this up, basically, hey, I'm interested in the Air Force, but I have celiac disease. And what I was told at that time, and I don't know if this has changed much these days, I would think hopefully it has. But at that time, I was told, well, they're not going to accept you because that's just too much of a challenge to deal with. So that kind of shot down one of my dreams. And it was like, hmm, okay, well, I will move on. I'll do something else. I could still fly airplanes if I wanted to, just maybe not in that capacity. The mechatronics program was really interesting. Got to learn a lot of things. I really loved it. And basically, you have these building blocks where you learn about programming. You learn about how to build circuits. You learn about electric motors. You can kind of see what all of this is leading to. Now, basically, the last class to finish this whole course off over a few years. I still remember the name of the course, CIE 90. And the last class, basically you had to take everything you had learned and accumulated over the previous years and apply it and build something. And the requirements were pretty vague. You basically had to build a microprocessing controlled device of some sort. You had to design the circuit yourself. You had to do the programming yourself, and it just had to do something. Now, that could be as simple as a small handheld circuit with a two buttons on it where you, you know, have a light flash and you try and press the button to match when the light flashes. I don't know, I'm just throwing something out there. That it could be simple, but I didn't do something simple because I like to have a challenge. <laughs> and sometimes those challenges work out well, and sometimes they don't work out well for me. This one thankfully worked out well. I had seen some electric bikes out there. Mostly they were lead-acid batteries. They were heavy. The motors were brushed motors. They were usually 24 volts. They weren't very impressive. Now, because of my model airplane building, I had built a lot of radio-controlled airplanes, and I had kind of gone through the process of building model airplanes. When I first started, the electric models were using like NICAD-style batteries. Lithium batteries were not a thing yet. And then as time went on, people started to use lithium batteries, and they were like this new scary thing. They were super expensive. You could hardly pull any power from them, but they were very lightweight. So people were like, oh, they're going to keep getting better. Let's use them. So I was definitely a very early adopter of lithium batteries on model airplanes, oddly enough. And I had one particularly large model airplane that had a four-stroke gas engine. It was way oversized. It was a lot of fun, though. It sounded like a real airplane, and it would probably do 60 miles an hour or so, and it was just awesome to do low passes and just hear that airplane. But one day I was out flying that, and the motor cut out right over some trees, and I got it down onto the runway, but I was like, all right, I don't want to deal with this noisy, smelly, oily engine anymore. I really like my smaller electric airplanes because on the smaller scales, they were starting to work well. And on the bigger scale, they weren't 
quite there yet. But I did take that big radio-controlled airplane and I converted it to electric when that wasn't terribly common for things of that size. Uh, I remember it was a long time ago, but I still remember it had like eight pounds of thrust, which was a lot for the time. And and these little tiny, tiny lithium batteries were like 200 some dollars a piece. It was, uh, it was a good thing I had a job at that time, but that was pretty awesome. I converted it to electric and then it was like, wow, this is so much better. And that's where I feel like my love of electric things really started because I went through that, oh, this one has gas, this one's electric, and this one works better. I can just pull it out to the field, I can charge it up, I don't have to keep the engine tuned up and you know adjust it and all these things, and I just, I liked it better. And so I kind of just went electric from that point forward. So fast forward back to this school project. Can you guess what I decided to build? You had to submit a proposal for your project, and I submitted my paper saying I was going to build an electric bike, but it didn't have lead-acid batteries. It wasn't 24 volts. It wasn't a brushed motor. I was going to use a electronic speed controller for a brushless motor and these lightweight lithium polymer batteries, and this was on a road bike. And... The professor, when he received my proposal, when he gave it back to me, I don't remember what he said, but I distinctly remember what he wrote on the paper. Across the top of it, very big red letters with like a dozen exclamation points at the end of it. And I'm not joking about that part. Uh, It really did have a bunch. It said, very ambitious. And if you thought that discouraged me a little bit, It didn't. (laughs) I just went ahead and I was like, I know I can make this work. I'm going, I'm going to build this thing. Now, funny thing about that class is you have 20 to 30 people that start out. I think that was probably closer to 30 at the very beginning of the semester. By the end, that very last class, when we all show off our projects, I think there were five people that showed up for class at all. The rest of the class didn't even bother to come because their projects didn't work. And that was kind of the basics of the the course. If you had a project that functioned, you passed. If it didn't function, you didn't. And there were three of us that had things that worked. So you can imagine that it wasn't an easy course because it was the culmination of all these things that you had learned. But if you had paid attention, at least in my opinion, if you'd paid attention, when it got to the end, you would know how to apply all of these things that make it work. So I took this blue... Bianchi road bike, and I put this big brushless motor that was designed for a large-scale electric airplane and these lithium polymer batteries on there, and I built the circuit and fought for hours and hours and hours on the on the code to get this thing to work, getting this throttle to control this thing because there weren't just off-the-shelf things you could buy at the time, not to mention that wasn't the point of the course. You had to build it yourself. I had a potentiometer that would send a signal to this small pickaxe microcontrolling device, and basically then it could send out the right signal to the motor through this controller. Uh, It had this LCD display that had LEDs that would light up as you use more power. It was pretty awesome looking, I think. (laughs) But it was definitely unique, definitely a little ahead of its time. And I won't say that it was perfect by any means because it definitely had some quirks, it had some issues. But the basics of it was that the electronics were sound 
and that it functioned and I could get up there in front of that class and run that throttle up and see that rear wheel running and it worked. That was my very first electric bike. And I I vowed never to make one that complicated ever again <laughs> because that was a bit ridiculous. But it worked. The concept was real. The technology was there. It was possible. But I didn't do anything with electric bikes after that point for several more years because basically I went back to work, finished up school, and then kind of life catches up with you and you're just trying to keep up with things. So I went to work for a company that was building water and fireproof hard drives. So kind of in that technology sector that made sense for me. And after a couple years, it just really wasn't going anywhere for me. I just felt like I needed something else. So I chose to leave and go work on another project, which is a new business that my father had started up that was kind of an interesting combination of of agriculture and high-tech stuff. And I learned a lot there and learned a lot of interesting things. But as the years went by, it just wasn't quite the right thing either. It was a good thing, and I feel like it was it was a green product. It had all these benefits, but uh, just getting people to adapt to something new was difficult. And it never could quite figure out how to get people to adopt a new technology that even though it's good for them, they don't always want it. So a very interesting experience I had uh, doing that. But while I was working there, I bought a couple of electric bikes. They were cheap price-wise. They were lacking components-wise. And some of you may recognize the name of the company I bought these bikes from, and that was Saunders. This was the Indiegogo campaign in 2015 when they showed off this electric fat bike for $4.99 plus shipping. And the general consensus at the time had a 36-volt, 8-amp-hour battery, which is kind of a joke today, (laughs) four or five years later. But that at the time, it was like, nobody can build a fat bike for $500 and sell it. This product isn't real. It's not going to make it. And I just thought, you know, based on everything that I know from the past years, this is possible. It's questionable whether or not the quality is going to be good, but I think it's possible. So I backed the project and several months go by and I get this giant fat electric bike. And that was the first electric bike I ever bought. So I had built one previously on my own. And here now I've bought one and I start riding it around the neighborhood, riding it to work. It had its downfalls It was a single-speed bike, which in these hills in Grass Valley is not very helpful at all. And it was a 350-watt motor, so so to get up the hills, you had to really stand up on the pedals and crank that thing to get it to go. But it was fun, and it worked. So it was this eye-opening experience again of, hey, electric bikes are viable. They are something that, that actually functions. Now, when that company first started off... Some of the service was a little bit lacking, and they're still not exactly known for the best service as far as e-bike companies that are out there. I think the product itself is good, but basically the the bike was very basic, and the main complaint or the main problem they had was they didn't have a display. They had a throttle that had some LED lights that would give you an indicator of your battery voltage, but you couldn't track how many miles you've gone. 
You couldn't even adjust the pedal assist settings, which now is just like, what? (laughs) So that means that if you tried to pedal, the motor would kick in a little bit of power. And then it also had a throttle that would kind of give you full power, but you couldn't adjust the assist levels at all. It was just at a fixed number from the factory and it was what it was. But if you could get a screen to plug into it, now you could adjust the assist levels, you could adjust some of the programming, you could see how far you've gone, you could see your battery voltage, all of these things that were like, oh, this is the way the bike should have been built. These need the screen. And the company was very slow to get those out. For whatever reason, I don't know what the reason was, but it just took too long. Some people were starting to search around and figure out where can we find these? They've got to be made in China somewhere. And somebody did find a supplier who was willing to sell the screens compatible with the right plug for the bikes. A limited number of people would buy them direct from China. And there were a lot of other people that said, oh, I don't, that's too risky. I don't want to buy it from this unknown supplier in China. Uh, I'll just ride the bike the way it is. And I was kind of like, oh no, this screen is so much better. It really makes the bike better. So I decided, you know, I'll take the risk. I will buy some of these parts and have them sent over. And then I can sell them here in the U.S. And hopefully that'll kind of help people to feel a little bit more comfortable that they're dealing with a person in the United States or a company in the United States. And at the time, the business that I started was called Velo Mobile Shop. You're probably thinking, what does that have to do with Bolton e-bikes or electric bikes or anything whatsoever? One of my weird quirky things and all of the bicycle stuff I got into was Velomobiles, which are three-wheeled, usually, enclosed aerodynamic bicycles, basically. And I just, I thought I had this great idea. I was going to create these affordable Velomobiles. They're one of the most efficient forms of transportation. You can go super fast in them. Uh, You stay out of the rain. You stay out of the cold. You're out of the weather. You can carry things. They're just amazing. And I tried to start this company selling Velomobiles. And so Velo Mobile Shop was the name of the website. And this was kind of in the middle of all this uh, electric fat bike stuff and everything that was going on. And that business didn't take off. I've tried quite a few businesses in the past that didn't take off. Had a vending machine business at one time. I don't recommend that. They're heavy. They're a lot of work. And you have to fix them often. Some people are very successful with that. Uh, Wasn't for me. Here's this Velo Mobile business. I thought I found a supplier in China at once that could make these things affordably. We could finally sell them at a reasonable price. Actually paid for a prototype to be made. I got pictures of it partially finished. And the company went through some legal trouble, went out of business in China, and I lost what I invested into that project, just gone. And then the more I pushed on it, the more I tried, the more I realized, you know, these Velo Mobiles are cool, but the average person doesn't want it. They don't want to ride this goofy three-wheel bicycle pod-shaped thing. This electric fat bike, however, it's not as efficient. Maybe it's not as practical on paper in some ways, but it's fun and people like it. And if that's what they need to adopt a, a new technology, something that makes sense, then maybe that's where we should put our time and energy. So kind of went through this transition where the name of the company was Velo Mobile Shop, and it stayed that way for a few years. But I started selling parts for electric bikes. Started out as the Saunders bikes because people needed parts and couldn't get them. 
So by supplying parts, it was just kind of a natural fit of, oh, well, here's a need and I can fill it. And that just grew and grew and grew. And literally that business started out in what you could call a closet. (laughs) It's a small room, probably about eight by 10 and with like two shelves in there. And I had some inventory stacked in there. And if I wanted to build a bike, I could build one bicycle at a time. I literally could not fit a second bicycle in there. But as time went on, I realized, okay, now I've sold all of these parts and pieces. I've basically created a whole new bike that doesn't exist yet. I should just create my own brand of electric bikes that have all these upgrades and better parts on them from the start. And so initially, I was taking all of these parts and pieces I was getting from overseas, and I would build the bikes each and every one. I would try and do some batches of bikes. I would take kind of custom orders. I would convert bikes. It was kind of all over the place. That was both good and bad. It was good because I learned a lot about electric bikes and what works, what doesn't, because everything was trial and error. It was just uh, soldering, splicing things together, making things work, buying different bike parts, and some awesome bikes came out over those few years. But at the same time, I was just running myself down because I was still working a full-time job, and this was still just kind of a side hobby. Remember, the bikes are not supposed to be what I do for a living. This is just something for fun. Bikes are supposed to be fun, not work. <laughs> and, and now that's changed a lot. As time went on and the bikes became more of a focus, I thought, you know, I'd need a name that one makes more sense, two, it's easier to spell, and three, it's easier to remember because you've probably already forgotten what the name of that first bike company was. I can remind you, but you really don't need to remember because that's not what we want to remember here. But the name was just too difficult for people to remember. It was long to spell, just all sorts of complications. I was like, I need something new that actually represents where things have progressed to. And funny enough, I created a t-shirt and I didn't even really notice until later when I was wearing it. I thought it'd be really cool to create a t-shirt that had some photos so from some of the original patents of electric bikes on it. So I did some research, got the old photos, put them on a shirt, thought, oh, this looks cool. And then I realized, hey, the guy who patented the electric bike, now this is way back when, if you don't know this, take a guess in your head right now. When was the first electric bike patented? Was it the 1960s, 40s, 20s, 1910? It was even before that. It was in 1895. That's right, 1895, a guy with the last name of Bolton patented an electric bike that had a diamond frame, so a standard upright bicycle when more bikes at that time were kind of the the penny farthing style that you, you see in old movies and things. And it had a hub motor in the rear wheel, and the battery was in that middle triangle. It was a 10 volt battery, and according to the patent, this bike would pull 1,000 watts which is a crazy amount of power even by today's standards. Now, if the thing worked, and we don't even really know if it did, but the patents exist and they look pretty legitimate to me, but if the thing worked, it probably didn't have the greatest of range. But even that far back in time, the idea existed and people were trying to make it work. 
now that it's 2020, it's taken 125 years for electric bikes to finally really take off. So back to this Bolton character. So yes, he was one of the first guys. So should I name the company that because of that? Now, if that was the only thing, I might not have. Because I feel like then I would be, you know, like Tesla or something, where I'm just trying to use the name for buzz or publicity. And that's not the only reason I did it. There were two other things that really stood out to me. I'll tell you the simple ones first. So first, obviously Bolton after the guy. Now, the second thing, Bolt, Bolton, kind of makes sense with a logo design and marketing that could remind you of a lightning bolt or something like that. So I liked that aspect of it, but I've always pronounced it Bolton as in the name and not bolt on. It's not relating to anything bolting on to anything. And please don't say it that way. (laughs) But uh, the third thing, now here's the real reason where it all comes together. And I'm not making this up. This is absolutely true. Don't think that I'm just making this up. This is not a story. I mean, it is a story, but it's a true story. My middle name comes from my father's middle name. He was named after somebody in our ancestry, in our history, our family history, whose last name was Bolton. So in a way, I'm kind of named after somebody who was named after somebody named Bolton who had some historical significance. (laughs) So it's a family name that's kind of trickled down, not as Bolton, but as my middle name. And so I started doing some research. And are these two guys with the last name Bolton related? Honestly, I have no idea. I've looked, I've tried to find the answer, and I haven't found a connection yet. Interestingly enough, they were both born in Pennsylvania. And if I trace both families' history back, they both eventually do lead to the town of Bolton in England. So it could be that both of them have that name just because they come from the town of Bolton and they're not actually related more closely than that. But there's a chance that... uh, Who knows, maybe electric bikes are just in my genes. So there you have it. That is why Bolton e-bikes is now the name of the business. And now you kind of know a little bit about who I am and how Bolton e-bikes came to be. And there's so much more that I could cover about this, but we can't possibly pack this all into one episode. So I'm really excited to keep this podcast going and release episodes every single week throughout this year. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, there's a chance that one of these days you could be on this show. This show is not supposed to be just me, Kyle Chidock, owner of Bolton e-bikes. That's not the intent whatsoever. This is the first episode I wanted you to know who I am. Now we're going to kind of flip the microphone around, and in future episodes, we're going to find out who you are. Because I want to hear your stories about electric bikes. We're going to be setting up interviews and finding other people in the e-bike industry to talk to. This is going to be kind of the complete whole electric bike experience. Because I want you to understand electric bikes. I want you to enjoy them. I want you to have fun with them. And the only way that we can do that together is if I share what I know. And we also find other people who can share what they know because no one person knows everything there is about electric bikes. So I think as we gain experiences from everyone, we're going to have an awesome time, and we're going to have a ton of fun. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Remember to make every day an adventure. Don't crash and have fun. Now, before you go, 
please make sure to subscribe to the Bolton e-bikes newsletter. Not only will you get awesome updates about electric bikes and new podcast releases, but as a bonus for listening to my podcast, you will automatically be entered to win a free electric bike. So once again, link to that will be in the show notes. So thanks again for listening. I will see you next week for another episode of the Bolton e-bikes podcast. <laughs>